You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, thanks so much again for letting me speak uh, and explain the Word of God to you. Uh, it's pretty awesome what I get to do. And if you want to have a think about maybe this is something that you want to do in the future, you know, chat with me, but also chat, chat with the man as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you're going to need your Bibles, by the way. So if you don't have it open, then please do. Uh, I also have one of the church Bibles. Um, I think Jerry said he was on 992. So have it there. The reason why it's important for you to have it there is I'm going to explain what I've seen in the text here, and I'll try and tell you and explain to you as easy as possible, uh, what it's saying to us as Christians and why it matters for who you are as a Christian. So if you think about it, and we all know this, our, our reputation really, really does matter. As in, what other people think about us, it really, really does matter. It shapes the way we think, shapes the decisions that we make, shapes the people that we hang around with. Our reputation really does matter. But rather than asking ourselves, what is your reputation? And if you think about it, that's, that's the question most of us think about. What is your reputation? The better question is, which reputation? Which reputation matters to you the most? Sometimes we think there is only one reputation. I am a awesome soccer player, or I like anime, or I am Korean, or Tongan, or Fijian. Sometimes that's our reputation, you know, the Asian guy. Some of us think that we are good workers, or loyal family members, or awesome drumists, she really is. We usually think of reputation as being one thing, but if you think about it, we have many different reputations, many different names, many things we're known by. We're workers, we're family members, we're friends, we're subscribers, we're fans, and we're followers, we're people who sit at the tech desk. We have lots of different names that we tell ourselves, that our society tells us, that our friends tell us, lots of different reputations. I think that's why the big question for us is which reputation? Which of these many, many different reputations do you consider to be the most important for you? All reputations, if we lay them out on the table, like Lego pieces, which goes on the bottom? And which goes on top of that? Which one goes on top of that? And what's the most important? There is a hierarchy. For example, some of us should care less about being K-pop fans than being family members. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, some of us should care more about being real friends than being just followers or subscribers or friends on social media. A lot of us regard being a family member more important than being someone at work. So we have lots of different names, lots of different reputations, but when we put them all together and we think about it, there is a hierarchy. The question we want to ask is which reputation matters? Which reputation? Now we've read from the book of Revelation. Uh, Let me just give you a little bit of context so we know sort of what's going on. Uh, If I can... Summarize the book of Revelation in a sentence. It's uh, God's word about the past, 
present and future from God's perspective. Yeah? It's God's word about the past, the present, and the future from God's perspective. That's Revelation. If you have a chance to read it or study it, like I know from Matt, you guys love studying really hard books. <laughs> I heard Romans, good on you. Um, if you ever get to have a chance to read Revelation, don't think of it, oh man, this is the book of, of visions and scary stuff. It's God's word about the past, present, and future from God's perspective. That's what it is. So we're in chapter three. So what happens in chapter one then? Well, in chapter one, we meet Jesus. Sometimes our image of Jesus is the, you know, the white guy with the nice beard, with the red sachet in a white, nice robe, sitting on the grass, holding children. You know, that's the image. But in actual fact, the, the Jesus of Revelation 1 is not like that. He is terrifying. He is awesome in the full way of that word. He is the one who has authority over heaven and hell. The one who determines who lives and dies. The one who has a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Very terrifying, awesome, with full authority. In chapter 2 and 3, he speaks with authority to seven churches. Seven groups of churches. They're in Asia Minor. Um, I'll show you a map later on. But they are speaking. Jesus is speaking to this church and to us. Uh, Here's a summary of the seven churches. I did not do this. Uh, Our pastor, Alan, did this. He's very well known for really awesome diagrams. If you can't see that, um, I don't know, maybe Hannah and Josh can take a photo and post it up on your thingy. Uh, But basically, the seven churches, they have very similar things uh, going on. It's all spoken by Jesus, but they have slightly different emphases. So, yeah, just just have that in your mind. But today, we're just going to look at the church in Sardis. Here's the outline. Uh, you can see it there, if that helps. I'll also be saying, oh, I'm a point one, point two, point three, just to help you. Now, why am I speaking about reputation? When I look at verse one of chapter three, and if you see it there as well, you see the word reputation. As we go through, uh, what we'll see in this passage is the theme of reputation and name being repeated throughout. So I reckon that's why. When I read this text and I think about it, I reckon that's one of the key things going on. And so the big thing that I think we should should know is our reputation before God matters above all else. Matters above all else. Okay. And so we start with the first verse. Here we go. First verse, it says here, have it there, you can see it as well. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Sardis is a real place. It's a real place. You'll see the map there. Uh, The important part is right there. Um, That's sort of Turkey right now. Back then... Uh, the city was located on a very, very strong position, very geographical position. You can see the photo there uh, of the actual city. If you live there, you would be very, very secure. There's only one way in and one way out. The sides are protected with the cliff. Now, if you're living in that city, you will be thinking, we are safe. 
We are safe. We're in a good position. We're geographically very, very safe. Nothing can shake us. All is well. That's what you'd be thinking. That's what you'd be thinking. They had a reputation of being alive, of being secure. Alive here in verse 1, you know, it's a spiritually alive. They have a reputation of being alive. In the region, among the churches, they had a good name of being alive. Sort of like you're, you know, you're traveling around the area, you know, Turkey back then, and people in the church, you know, like you meet them and you ask them, hey, I'm looking for a really good church. Can you tell me about a good church? People would say Sardis. People would say, this church is pretty awesome. They're really well known in the community. They have awesome music. Welcomers are great. They're really gospel. They pray. They are spiritually alive. They would have a reputation. Maybe they would have said, We are safe. We're in a good spiritual position. We are spiritually alive. Nothing can shake us. All is well. The church of Sardis had a good name for themselves. Standing before the community, they had a good reputation. But not when standing before Jesus. Have a look at verse 1 again. In the middle there. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jesus is the one who speaks in the letter and he's the one who stands among the seven stars. At the end of Revelation 1, you can see there, uh, we hear a reference to the seven stars there. Seven stars that are in my, that's Jesus' right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we are told that Sardis is in the hand of Jesus. He says to them, I know your deeds. I know exactly what's going on. You can't hide anything from me. That's that's what he's saying, yeah? He's he's described in verse 1 as the one who holds the seven spirits. That's the reason why it's there. They had a pretty good name before others, very good name, but Jesus knows who they are. Now, um, the sort of deeds, uh, the works that's mentioned, I'm not entirely sure what that is. Um, The only clue we get is from the word soiled in verse 4. The word soiled in verse 4 of chapter 3. That should be chapter 3, my my mistake. Uh, The word soiled. The other place we see this in 14, chapter 14, and it describes people who have not soiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. So when I think about what was actually going on in the church in Sardis and why were their deeds shown to be dead, My thought is maybe they had something to do with sexual immorality. Now, the reason why I don't think that's too far from the answer is churches, uh, the letters, the other letters, the other six letters, they have bits and pieces of sexual immorality weaved into them. That was one of their warnings. So that's going to be my best bet. Uh, If you think otherwise, um, I'd really love to hear. Yeah, what what do you think? Um, So... Whatever happens, whatever is the real deal, we're not actually sure. What we do know is they have a bad reputation in front of Jesus. They have a good reputation in front of the world. Just just have that there. On the outside, they're wearing Christ. 
on the inside they're rotten. Before the community, they have a good reputation. Before Christ, they don't. The church of Sardis had the wrong reputation. Now, I think just from these verses, there is one key thing for us to all listen very carefully to. Uh, I was reading this, actually, and the scariest word or phrase in chapter 3 at first was soiled. Then I read it again, and the scariest phrase is the phrase, I know your works. That is scary. Jesus has in his right hand, metaphorically, us and the churches. When he says, I know your works, it means we can't hide anything from the one who owns the church. That's for us individually. That's for us as chemistry. There is nowhere to hide. There is nothing we can hide There's nothing that we can say to Jesus, oh, look, you can see this, and yeah, just see this, and this is the only thing that matters, and something else is going on here. We can't hide anything from Jesus. That's why I think the word, I know your works, is terrifying, because it makes us be honest with who we are and where we are as a church. It is a very terrifying thing. When I preach this to my own church at Captivate, I was thinking about, are we actually living for Christ? Do we actually have the gospel at our center? Are we willing to challenge people on their ungodliness? Even though other people might think of bad of us, are we willing to take those decisions, whether it's of leaders, whether it's of ourselves, whether it's of our children, are we willing to make those difficult decisions? It's a very difficult question for all of us. Um, And I think for for our church as well here, our church. (laughs) Yeah, let us be honest, not hiding behind a facade of a social Christian correctness. This is the place to be honest. These are the people that you can be honest with and we can all confess our sins to God. That is awesome, brilliant. Now, the great thing about this verse and these verses and the Bible and the God of the Bible He just doesn't say, you're wrong, you're sinful, you're going to hell, you suck, you're terrible. He doesn't, he warns us, then he gives us the gospel. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. That is an amazing thing. Everyone here has something to hide. Everyone. But we can't hide anything from Jesus. That's why. He tells us to wake up. That's the second point. Wake up. I'm reading from verse 2. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Wake up, be watchful, be on guard. That's sort of what he's trying to tell us. Being on guard, uh, being watchful for the people inside us wasn't really an issue. They were, as we said, very, very well protected. 
very well protected. Being on guard was very easy for them. No kingdom had ever forced their way to the city of Sardis. Nothing can check them. They were safe. That was the case until one day in the 5th century BC. Uh, 5th century BC for us, it's like, oh, what is that? Um, if you go through the book of Jeremiah, you know, in Gwing, um, that's when Israel is about to get destroyed, right? Being taken off into exile. The 5th century BC is a little bit after that, you know, sort of around that time. So think about it that in terms of perspective. Around that time, King Cyrus of Persia is the superpower that's rising up and is conquering the Middle Eastern world, and now he wants Sardis. Now, due to the advantageous geographical position, what would you be thinking if you're Sardis? <laughs> we're pretty cool. We're safe. All is well. Nothing can shake us because we're on guard. That's what they'd be thinking. Well, Herodotus, apparently he's a great historian, he tells us in that 549 BC, Persian soldiers would scale up the wall, scale up the cliff, go into the city and take it from within. Cyrus, king of Persia, pounced on Sardis like a thief and took the city. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus will come like a thief. When Jesus comes... The safety of our reputation will not protect us. They, they can't. When Jesus comes back, he will come to judge the living and the dead. All people everywhere will stand before him and we will be asked, on what account should we enter your kingdom? He will look us in the eye, expose our life and say, why should you be saved? And there you come with a roller of documents saying, I got an encouragement award in year five. Or, you know, uh, this is my superannuation portfolio. Or, I've been a really good father. I made sacrifices for my son. I sent my son to UNSW, you know. Do we really think that before Christ and in the midst of all the angels and in the judgment day of all the living and the dead that our reputation will be anything of a shield? Coming to Jesus with our reputation is like protecting ourselves from the rain with tissue. It just doesn't work. It's stupid. Our reputations before the world do not matter before Christ. They do not matter. Therefore, we have to be watchful. We have to be on guard. Wake up. Jesus is coming back. At times, you know, I need to hear this warning. We, we all need to hear this warning. It's especially true if we're finding ourselves in a difficult position when we find ourselves choosing between worldly success and reputation and Christian faithfulness. Even as a follower of Jesus, I personally feel the pull of a worldly reputation. Whether I'm at parties or, uh, I don't go to many parties, whether, or whether I'm at parties or meeting people for the first time, you know the scariest question they ask? What do you do? That's the scariest question for me. 
between the time where they ask the question and the time that I say I'm a pastor, so many thoughts go on. So, you know, it's a millisecond. But if I stretch out that millisecond and show you, there is like, what will they say if I say I'm a Christian? Are they a Christian? Are they atheists? What happens if they're like Jehovah's Witnesses? What do I say? Do I have my Bible? What's the drink in my hand that I'm holding? Is it alcoholic? I hope it's not. You know, there are so many anxious thoughts because I think, what if they don't like me? What if they judge me? What are those decisions where you have to just sort of reach out from that millisecond of your ethical imagination and there are so many anxieties? What did you do on the weekend? Where are you going out? Uh, what, Bible study? Is that it? Hey, um, you know, who are you getting married to? Oh, really? Is he, he's a Christian? Like, does he actually go to church, Christian? What are those decisions that make us feel anxious, those decisions that push us into a corner and make us, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Am I going to choose this way or this one? Which reputation is more important for me? Which direction will I go? Who is more important? There are those decisions within our life, and I feel that weight so much. There is that pull. But Jesus is telling us here to wake up, to wake up, to wake up and remember. The thing that gets me the most is the fear of being different. Now, that, that, that's, that's for me. Uh, the fear of standing out. I just want to be a normal person. I'm just a person who happens to be Christian. Did you catch that? I'm just a person who happens to be a Christian. Now, you see what's happened there, right? My core identity is that I'm just a person. My core identity, the thing that's most important for me is that I am like everybody else. I'm an average guy, just like you. That's why, that's why we make jokes, you know, to make people feel comfortable. I'm just like you, bro. You know, I also play soccer and listen to K-pop sort of thing. In our sinfulness, we are tempted to say that. We are tempted to be just normal people who happen to be Christian. It's as if Christian part is an add-on, like Velcro. You know Velcro? It's like Velcro. You detach it and reattach it. So uh, at church, yep, you put it on. At work, you put it off. Yep, at Bible study, on it goes again. With friends, Deciding what to do on a Sunday, you put it back on. When deciding about who to marry, what you're watching, what to do with your finances, what I should be doing with my career, comes off. It comes off because we are afraid of being different. We are afraid of being different. We want to be just like everybody else. It's at these times we need to hear God's warning to us. Wake up, be on guard. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But as I said before, rejoice, friends, because we have a God who is not just there to judge us and tell us we are going to hell. He responds to us by sending us the gospel. He's a gospel God. That is who he is. 
That is at the core of his character. He is not a God who loves sending people to hell, who loves telling them that they're sinful. He loves to share the gospel with us. The next few verses, they are deeply encouraging. God wants us to remember. You can see it there. God wants us to remember in verse 3. We, we, we need to turn back to God and know what we know to be the most important thing, the reputation that really matters. Let me read verse 3. It says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. Think back to when you became a Christian. You know, Pastor Matt asked me, how about you? When did you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? Maybe afterwards, tell one another, this is how I became a Christian. If you remember, can you think about what it felt like, what it was like to know that God loves you? Do you remember what it was like to know that there is no shame if you were in Christ Jesus? It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to know that you are a Christian, that God has saved you. Friends, hang on to the truth that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Hang on to the truth that there is hope of new life for us, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's your favourite way of remembering? What's your favourite way of remembering that Christ died for you? What's your go-to way of remembering that you are a Christian and that he knows you. For me, I spend a lot of time in cars, and so podcasts are really helpful for me. Uh, Christian songs have also been very, very helpful for me. Um, The Word of God is also very, very helpful, you know, might I add there. Um, These three are the ones that I go to the most. I go to these (laughs) unrelentingly often. Romans 8, chapter 1. Sorry. Chapter 8, verse 1. You would have read this uh, last year. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. What's your favourite way of remembering that you are a Christian? If you don't have one, then find one. Ask people. Ask people, hey, um, after you let me know how you became a Christian, can you also tell me, what's your way of remembering that you're a Christian? The whole Bible is filled with that. The whole Bible is filled with that. Let's come back to the gospel. You know, the gospel's not just the start. It's, it's the fuel. It's the thing that pumps us to help us go forward. Now, before we get to our final point, I'm going to recap where we're up to. We started with the question, what was it? Which reputation do you value most? Which reputation? Do we value the reputation of the world or do we value the reputation before God? We saw that Jesus knows everything. He knows everything and we cannot hide anything. That's why we need to wake up and remember. We need to wake up and remember. Now, at this point, 
of the passage in verse 4, he starts to speak to people who have remembered, who are faithful. And we're going to go through it and we'll see the awesome hope it is for us. Verse 4, let's read. Uh, Yet ye have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Literally, it's um, you have a few people or a few names. You have a few names there of people, a few reputations inside us that are walking with me in white. Jesus knows these names. The colour white in the book of Revelation is the colour of victory. Colour of victory. It describes those who have stayed faithful to the end. It's the colour of the robes of those in Revelation 7, the multitude in white. It's the colour of the throne of God at the end, pure. These faithful ones were conquerors. They were faithful to the end. They were worthy of walking with God. Walking with God is a way of saying having a very personal, close relationship. So these names inside us, they are known by God. Now, to the first Christians inside us, and I think to us, these are very comforting words. If we are in trouble, in struggle, in temptation and sin, these words are awesome reassurances for our soul. It really is amazing. Have a a look at verse 5. I'll read from 5 to 6 this time. The one who is victorious will like them, that's people of Sardis, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever as he is, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh man, there is so much assurance and hope here. There is so much for those. Notice that Jesus has moved on from speaking just to the church inside us and he's got a broader, more general audience in view, right? Because he's going, okay, now uh, the one who is victorious will, like them, notice that? So he's not speaking just to the church of Sardis now. He's turned his, his attention to the general population of those who will be dressed in white. He's talking to us. He's talking about us. Right now, Jesus, right now, is speaking to us and is helping us see that there is hope. Just like the few names in Sardis, we will be worthy. Our names will be, look at at the uh, middle of verse 5, will be in the book of life. And he will never scratch that name from the book of life. But there's more to that. Jesus himself, it says at the end of verse 5, acknowledge your name before my Father and his angels. He will acknowledge your name. Let me explain uh, a bit more about that. At the end of Revelation, at the very end, it describes the scene of the judgment of all. Living and the dead, Every single person, everything created in the universe, from the beginning until now, everything will be there. 
and all of universe will be standing in judgment before the great throne. There will be people, there will be animals, everything in the world will be before the creator and they will be judged. The king has full authority. And in our passage, in Revelation, God tells us that in the midst of the whole creation, the triune God, his angels, his creatures, all of humanity, he's going to have everyone in the midst, and in the midst, he's saying your name. He's saying your name. He will acknowledge your name in the midst of the universe. He will say, I know you. I know you. I know this name. And I will never scratch this name from the book of life. Friend, are you weary in your walk to be faithful to Christ? Are you tired of the attacks and mockings at the expense of your faith? Do you feel alone in your struggle against sin? Friend, know this. God is telling us very, very clearly in verse 5, I know you. I know you. The thing I find fascinating about this is the word know was so terrifying when we first saw it at the beginning. I know you. I know you. I know everything about you. Yet how comforting to know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows we're sinful. He knows that we have nothing to hide. Yet he sent his son to die for us. And so he knows us. He truly knows us. That is an amazing truth. It's funny. Sometimes we ask people, what do you think about God? Well, from God's perspective, the question is, what does God think about you? That's the big question for us, friends. What does God think about you? What is your reputation before God? Now, in a room size like this and those watching online, you may be someone who's not sure about that question. I actually don't know what God thinks about me. Speak to a friend today and share with them. I'm actually not sure what God thinks about me. And take them to these verses. Read with them Ephesians 2. Help them to see that we should wake up because Jesus is coming back. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So friends, wake up. Let's remember. Let's be very clear what of our reputation before Christ because when Jesus comes back, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that you know us so well. You know us, our sin and our failures. We thank you, though, that while you knew us in our weakness and sin, Christ still died for us. We pray that as you help us to think about what this means for our life, that you would help us to be at all at your grace and your mercy. And Father, we ask that you would continue your great work in chemistry, And as many people hear the word of God and are saved, we ask that you will please allow us all to glorify you on that final day. And in Jesus' name.
Amen.